Hi guys, welcome to episode 67 of The Green Life. I am so excited about today's episode as we dive deep into psychology, especially talking about toxic relationships and how to release ourselves from them, heal from them. And of course, I think this is a subject a lot of people would find really relevant. Here I have an expert to talk about it, Dr. Sherry Campbell. Dr. Sherry is a licensed psychologist with over 20 years of clinical experience providing counseling and psychotherapy services to her clients. She doesn't only do face-to-face in Southern California where she resides, but also has an online platform to reach out to people across the globe. Now, before we go deep into the episode, I'd love to give a big shout out to Nama Wealth, the J2 Juicer. You guys know I love the juicer, so if you are on the market for one, you can use my code below. Also, if you are visiting Northern Portugal or want to visit Northern Portugal, we have a few retreats coming up, including a beautiful one in September that I really wish to see you there for. And so you can check that out in the show notes as well. Also, I've just joined Dr. Moore's Health Club as an affiliate. So I have my link in the show notes. I personally use the herbs and I really support his work. So if you are on the market for herbs and you want to really support your organs in the wonderful jobs they do in our body to keep us healthy, I highly recommend Dr. Morse. For you to purchase through the link means that you're helping the show as well. So I really appreciate it if you do. And of course, another way you can support is by leaving your comments and rating and, and help us grow. Okay, back to the show. As I mentioned, Dr. Sherry is really an expert in the subject of toxic relationships, mostly because she actually is a survivor of one. So she has written several books on the topic, including But It's Your Family, Cutting Ties with Toxic Family Members and Loving Yourself in the Aftermath, and Adult Survivors of Toxic Family Members, Tools to Maintain Boundaries, Deal with Criticisms, and Heal from Shame After Ties Have Been Cut. So check out the show notes for all the links to her wonderful work. Dr. Sherry is nationally recognized for her expertise in the U.S., so maybe if you are in the U.S., you might know her from her appearances on TV and on radio shows. And of course, she is really growing across the globe with a wonderful reach on her social media. So guys, without further ado, let's go into this really, really deep topic today. Welcome, Dr. Sherry. Hello, Dr. Sherry. How are you today? Thank you for being on The Green Life. Oh my gosh, you're welcome. I'm I'm doing great today. I'm excited to be here and to talk to all of you and help in the ways I can. Yeah, and you definitely do help. I So I came across your profile on one of the podcasts that speaks about psychology. Obviously, you're a psychologist and um, you have an amazing experience with uh, dealing with trauma. And we're going to talk about family trauma, which I think a lot of people can relate to. I certainly can. So when I heard the, the podcast, it really did resonate. But if people haven't come across you before, um, can you just give me a little bit of background about your story and then how you became actually a spokesperson for dealing with uh, toxic uh, relationships? So um, I was raised in a very, very uh, pathologically toxic family. I have two toxic parents and a toxic sibling. Um, and I would say now it just all came down through the generations on both sides of my family. Um, but I lived in, in a world that just felt upside down as compared to right side up, but I didn't know any different to have any refuting evidence. Although when I was young, I would go to other people's homes and I would be like, this is really different. Like they're so nice to each other. Um, and I just 
hung on for a long time because I didn't want to be a bad person. But I was I was the scapegoat from day one. A spear campaign was set into motion from the moment I was in that role. I had no choice over that role. Uh, my sibling was the golden child. Um, and I just was the invisible bad kid. And I kept trying to be good, thinking that they would love me and then my family would want me and all those things. And, you know, after 45 years of running in place, I just had had enough abuse and I cut ties. Well, they cut me off, uh, which was typical. uh, But then I just thought I didn't have it in me to mend the fence anymore. By this point, I'd had a child and I'd had a PhD and I was starting to be like, wow, my family is really not normal, but I never considered that they would, that I would not mend the fence. Cutting me off was a game to them. So I just never pictured that I'd go to a place where I would not want to mend the fence anymore. And I, I reached that place. And so it's been seven years of no contact and a lot of post-separation abuse. Um, It's the smear campaigns quietly, rumbling in my background all the time, but I have learned how to get through that. And, and that, that is what I teach now. So I feel like I'm a survivor before I'm, I'm an expert. I just happen to be a survivor with a PhD. Um, I think the expert piece helps in a different way, maybe against culture, but the survivor part helps the people who follow me in my community. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel that if you are surviving something, you automatically can really speak for it and be an expert because you have lived it. Sometimes I I see a lot of experts who on paper, they're great, but they haven't experienced things themselves. So they only can speak from a theoretical part, but not really having having lived it. So Yeah, I think that experts have a hard time when it comes to no contact. Perhaps their parents and uh, they don't want to maybe take a peek at maybe why their their child or any child they they, they think it's wrong, mm-hmm. it's amoral. So even books would help me to a certain extent, but they couldn't help me past like a sort of a di- you can have a distant relationship with your family. Any vein of that poison into my body was still going to kill me, no matter how slow the drip was. Mm. So for me, um, I w- I had to be done to save my life, to so that I could have a chance at being happy. Or, you know, it's a sad reality that in our society we hold strangers to higher standards of treatment of children than parents. If a stranger harms a child, they face losing their job, their license, criminal charges. Whereas parents are getting away on a free pass because of their title or siblings are getting away with criminal things, or there are toxic adult children. Um, I'm, I was raised by a toxic adult child is how I look at it. Two toxic adult children. They never grew up. They're mean, they're immature. Uh, But they would tell me I was all of those things. So it's just like living in a house of mirrors. It was awful. Yeah. They were projecting. So for people that don't understand actually the, the signs of a toxic relationship, can we maybe pinpoint a few things that they can pick up perhaps? Uh, They lack empathy. They're extremely critical and controlling. Um, They are never wrong. They are always the victim. Uh, They are pathological liars and manipulators. 
and they are disturbingly selfish. Mm. Those are very big ones, eh? Yeah. And as a child, I guess you don't see it. That's that's the thing. You can't. You don't see know it. any. You just don't know any different. And then you're told you're selfish, and we believe what we're told as children because we don't know any different and we need our parents to be good and safe so that we feel safe. So we'll, we'll join in on our own smear campaign, not knowing. And, and then we grow up with this, this core feeling of I'm unlovable. I'm, I'm bad. I'm hard to like, um, um, I'm a burden, you know, it's like when I'm working with patients, um, I put them through a gauntlet of of doing their inventory so that we can locate the main themes of their core wounds. Um, I'm working on a workbook now, and I've got a new book coming out 2024, and I'm, I'm writing a clinician's manual. So it's like I'm all over the place right now because uh, it feels now that there's only me, and 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 uh, there's a lot of demand on me at the moment. So, uh, but I'm happy to help. I'm passionate about it, but. Yeah, you don't you don't know. You just know that you feel bad all the time. You don't feel like you want to be around your family members. You learn to become very flat or you get to a point where I was a teenager I was so angry. Like I couldn't keep it in anymore and then I started fighting back and that didn't work so I starved myself. I I, I focused on food. Um thank God I'm too chicken to throw up still even as an adult, but once I started controlling my food, it was like I took their power away to make me good or bad. Now food did it. And so I could be a good girl with that. And and I'm not telling you that's a good coping skill, but it did save my life for that moment. As it was killing me, it was also saving me. But I didn't fight anymore and I didn't yell anymore. And I got good grades instead of failing. And, you know, so it was... And, and and it was egregious that they liked me that way. So you were anorexic and they liked you that way. I finally fit into Disney is how it felt. Wow. Okay. I, I suffered from anorexia too. Not for a long time, thankfully. But me too. Two years. Yes. Months, maybe two years. Yeah. Yes. Same. And, um, and it definitely was uh, a lot to do with same kind of traumas. I didn't recognize this until now. So me neither. I didn't recognize it until years later. Mm. Um, but I then I food was a frenemy and I had body image issues and control issues around food, never being satisfied with my body. So it turned on me from saving me to then abusing me the same way that I was abused by my parents. Mm. So I was like, when I was anorexic, I knew, I knew how thin I was. Like I, I wasn't thinking I was fat then. I didn't have that. I was obsessed with just getting thinner. But then when when it all kind of came out, um, I I then started to feel like I was bad or fat or I had a fat thin disorder and I was I, in battling with it for decades, you know. So it's a it's an interesting thing, but I look at it now and I recognize that it, it probably saved my life at the critical time that I needed to be saved by something, anything, someone, anyone. And if it had to be that, then for me, I guess better than drugs. I mean, I didn't get addicted to anything and I didn't get pregnant or I didn't lose my life. But um, I would still say to this day, food is something I, I heavily manage. It's a 
I, I don't think I will ever stop that piece. I, I don't know how. So <laughs> to be honest, you know, so I try to look at it from the good. I mean, I'm always going to be really healthy and um, I'm always going to be able to be proud of myself. I wish there weren't other kickbacks to it, fears, self-punishment or whatnot, but mm-hmm. it's there. And I've learned to live with it and not hate it and not uh, become harmful to myself or any of those things anymore. It's like, I'm 52, I'm a grown woman and I've been through a lot. I understand why I'm that way. And I accept that I'm that way. And so I go with it now. It's like, I don't go to Vegas and let's go splurge on food because we're on vacation. That will ruin my vacation. Hmm. So I go to Vegas, let's say, and I manage my food. So I feel good in my bikini the next day or, and, and I can take some heat from it, from, from people I'm with. And I don't care. It's like, I, this is me. So (laughs) live a little, I'm like, oh, I am, this is living for me because I'm going to feel good tomorrow, you know? So I just go with it and I don't care. And I've learned that piece. So that's how I deal with it. Many of us have eating disorders coming out of families like this. It's so common. Yeah. I, you see this part of you, I did not know, actually, I didn't, I, I don't think you mentioned it in the podcast I listened to. Um, but I, I mean, I'm getting shivers because it's exactly, you know, the timeline. And also I was, I knew I was thin, but I just wanted to be thinner. And I was counting my, my bones every day to make sure I could see them more and more. Girl, I was and, counting my bones too. I'd count my ribs. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to see my pubic bone. Yeah. Um, my collarbones, those were always really important to me, but then I'd hide, I'd hide them mm. from everybody else. Cause I didn't want to be seen. Um, so it was, it was a secret life I had that was, and I felt so powerful at that time, like at school, even I'd be watching kids eat. And in my mind, I'm like, they're so weak. Mm. I'm so much stronger than they are. And like, I, it, it elevated something in me that I needed anything in me to elevate. And unfortunately it was that, um, but it made me feel more powerful than other people. And I felt I was a powerless person, powerless. So it was a gift in some way. And I don't know if that's just something true to anorexia. Cause I'm again, too afraid to vomit. So I don't, I don't know they seem very different to me as, as, as disorders when I treat them in my office. Um, the bulimic is much more free, uh, than, than an anorexic. I mean, the type of control it takes to starve yourself and is much harder than for me, I think, than binging and eliminating, you know? Um, so I was, I did the same thing. I counted all my bones and I had rituals and, and, um, I lived my life around it and it gave me a freaking compass. So I'm very thankful for it. I actually look back at that time and I'm like, wow, the fat thin disorder after anorexia has been much harder. Yes, I agree. The body dysmorphia has definitely been harder to navigate for a very long time. And I still have to deal with it. I still have to remind myself it takes so much self-love and, you know, consciousness and compassion to yourself not to go into dark places with your mind where you like, you know, you look at yourself and just hate it. It's not a very pleasant thing at all. No, 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 no. I used to wish I could unzip my body and just live somewhere else, you know, when I had to start eating again and all of that. And then you gain weight so fast, you Mm -hmm. know, so it's like this rapid uh, 
escalation of easy weight gain because you starved yourself. But I, I write about this in my book somewhat. I don't mention it in detail. In fact, I've never talked about it anywhere outside of a therapy office like I am with you because it's just something that, um, you know, it's like private, you know, for, yeah. for you. But it, what it did for me, again, and I'm not having anyone listening think this is what you should go do because you shouldn't. I starved myself because they were starving me. Yeah. Yeah. I look at it now and I'm like, they controlled me. I controlled myself. They starved me of love. I starved myself of life. Like Mm. that's not okay. So I can look at it now from a hindsight view and, um, and recognize that that's what was happening further. The prefrontal cortex shuts down from 15 to 21. So we're not using rational thought and we have increased dopamine, which is probably what allows us to do those things as teenagers, you know, teenagers today, they cut, Yeah, you, you couldn't pay me to cut myself Yeah, back in my day, it was anorexia or eating disorders. You know, it was like, there's certain things that are, are common for certain generations. And, um, I think that the willpower that I had had largely to do with my prefrontal cortex and an increase in dopamine, like some teenagers, we have one recently in the news that his friend said, jump off a boat on a night cruise. And he's 18. He's like, bye shark dead. Oh my gosh. I didn't know if that. he were, if he were 22, 25, he likely wouldn't have done that. Mm. Teenagers get into more car accidents. They, they can follow through on suicide a little more easily because this, our brain development is doing what it's doing. So, um, it was nice for me as I went on in my education to learn that that uh, I probably could never, ever be anorexic again because I don't have a prefrontal shutdown. I know better and I don't have an increased dopamine where that willpower was unbelievable at that time. Yeah, I don't have it. True. So true. So you mentioned something really interesting that you fit in by being anorexic, almost like they were like, OK, welcome to the club of suffering, you know, without in, in between the lines. What happened when you came out of it, though? What happened when you started gaining your control? Well, I guess you still have control when you're anorexic, but when you started actually eating again and, you know, moving forward with your life as well, because obviously when we are starving ourselves, everything kind of goes a little bit of standstill. You just don't have the energy. Yeah. And you're, you're kind of high in a weird way, yeah. you know, on starvation. Uh, it killed me to eat again. And I became broken and needy and sad and I felt forced and I, I, it weakened me terribly emotionally to have to do that again. Um, and I went to college, so I didn't even have control over my food. I'd eat at the dorm um, and my roommate was tall and extremely thin. So just naturally. And so to, I would just compare my body. It was a wreck. I was a wreck for a long time around food and body image and Um, you know, I was really, my mom's a mean girl. So when I started becoming more womanly or, um, it just wasn't good. It just wasn't good. So I, I just never felt pretty. Um, and if I was ever told I was pretty, it was backhanded. Um, I mean, she'd boast about stuff like that behind my back, but I, I felt like an ugly duckling. I just, I, I, I just felt so ugly and so, um, unlovable and unwanted. And then I was so needy inside after I was forced to 
get, get like the program with food. And then I went somewhere where I didn't have any control. And then if food was around me, I would have a hard time not eating it. It was just terrible for years after that with food. So I think I fit in because I went back to being very broken and easy to manipulate. I see. And when did you start seeing that the manipulation was really evident for you that you didn't, that you just didn't fit in with your family, that you just, you know, now obviously you're studying your way. So when that separation happens, I guess you can, things come at you a little bit more. Well, here's what's interesting. Notice. And it took me forever to figure this out. My first two years of college, instead of being excited to be there, I didn't have a control over my food. So that made me super paralyzed. I had to live in a room with someone that I didn't know. And I mean, it was okay enough, but I didn't have any privacy. I'm someone who needs a lot of alone time. And alone time for me means my body's got to not be around other people's bodies. Um, I never felt like I fit. So that that wasn't a, a shock for me. I mean, I, I knew I didn't fit, but I thought it was my fault. But once I had my kid, I was just like, whoa, whoa like the way I felt toward her and feel toward her. I knew that I didn't ever have that. And then I couldn't imagine doing to her the things that were done to me. So it was, it made it what I already knew. Cause I'd read children of the Mm self-absorbed. I'd read some books and I'm like, Oh yeah, for sure. You know, that's, that's my mom. And this one's my dad, but all those books, we're like, and this is how you cope. This is how you stay in the family. But once, once I had my, my child, things started becoming very crystal clear to me on how disturbingly selfish and disgusting my family members were. So now that you you have your child and um, how is her relationship with the grandparents? I mean, before you cut off with them. She did not ever care for my mom. And my dad was, was, was in cults and strange and a weird guy. And I mean, I hardly saw my dad over the course of my life. And when I did, he was so Jekyll Hyde uh, tickling would turn into me having a bloody nose. Cause I accidentally kicked him. So he punched me in the face. I mean, it's like wow. his last words were a physical threat to put me in a hospital because of my book my very first book that I self-published. Um, she met him once um, and she didn't like being around my mom at all. But once I stopped mending fences with her, um, she started to, she reached out to my ex-husband who she hated and hadn't had a relationship with in 10 years and was going to develop a relationship with him to see my daughter behind my back. Oh, wow. That's low. So yeah, you don't get lower than that. And, um, my daughter was there when my mom started that up and she didn't like it. My daughter's an incredibly intuitive girl. She's 18 now, just graduated high school at the time she was 11. And, um, she asked me if she could block my mom because my mom was all of a sudden sending her videos of their dog. And my mom had never done that stuff prior and I said, it's up to you, baby. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a decision for you around a grandparent, but I'm not going to see them. And at that point, I wasn't sure if it was, I just knew I was done. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that meant in terms of time, but I knew that I was done for 
done, I didn't think that there, well, there was, there's been no return to it. And so, yeah, there's no relationship. I think a toxic parent just becomes a toxic grandparent. If she's going to triangulate my kid to hate me and use my ex-husband to do it, I'm sorry, but that is evil. That's evil. It's conniving. And that is putting my daughter in a divorce situation. I mean, that's triangulating a child. So, and, and she's done some interesting things over the course of time with my daughter's 16th birthday present. The main piece was missing and there was no gift receipt. I mean, it's disgusting the things that she's done with gifts. So I ended up having to send a note saying, don't send things here or they'll be returned or sent to goodwill. Just don't. And at that point, everyone in my family cut me off. Okay. She's telling them I'm sending her gifts. She's sending them broken, missing pieces. I mean, it's like, She's not going to tell people she's doing that. I'm not hallucinating it. So, and the people in my life are like, like, oh my God, what am I even seeing right now? Because it's that sick. And you know, you said something interesting. You are seeing it. It's there. And I mean, a lot of the times when we go through situations with some people, especially when they are in a position of authority in in our family, in our life, they are our parents you kind of start thinking you're crazy. Did you feel that way too? Oh, yeah. Oh, I felt nutter butter my whole life. So it was really incredible to recognize that um, I, I, one, I wasn't crazy and I wasn't too sensitive. I was intuitive. The problem with my family members is I'm not toxic. So that 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 does not work for them. So they were going to emotionally pummel me so that I couldn't escape and tell the truth. So here's the deal. If they're going to lie about me, then I feel a commitment to telling the truth about them. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm doing. The truth about my life, about what it's like to grow up like this uh, in such a twisted world. It was very obvious that I was anorexic and she acted shocked when the school called. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was just something that I think my mom probably thought, well, I don't care. It shuts her up. You know, so whatever her thought was, I'm not sick enough to imagine what that is. But yeah, I think having my own child, far more than getting my PhD, uh, they don't teach this stuff at a PhD. They don't teach any of this. Um, Was just such an awakening for me. Yeah. Because I can't imagine ever doing to my child the things that were done to me. I mean, I, I was told, like, you know, God, I can't wait till you go to college. I've been ready to sell you for 25 cents or best offer on a corner. You know, it's like my daughter graduated and I just heard the music come on. I'm like, ah! I'm fucking bawling. Um, (laughs) I'm that mom. Um, And we're very, very close. And she's such a great kid. And she's got such a good head on her shoulders. And she's been through a lot with me. So, yeah, it's been hard on her. And you mentioned your ex-husband. And I just wonder, was how how was that relationship? Because now coming out of a toxic relationship with your parents, I wonder if that kind of seeps over. Oh, yeah. I married my mother. Oh, and um, my daughter 
established no contact with him at 14. I see. Yeah. How, when, when did you divorce? How, how old was your when daughter? When she was two and a half. Okay, so pretty quickly. We were together for five years. Five years, we were in therapy that whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were married. We are married six together, two before. So actually eight years. But he was so familiar to me, I think, because she, he was so passive aggressive. But today he's he's 53 years old and he's renting a room in someone's home and he's addicted to video games. I mean, he neglected the hell out of my daughter. He wouldn't feed her until he got to the next level. And then he'd get the night, sometimes 1.30 in the morning, she wouldn't have even been fed. Oh so, I mean, he was living with a convicted felon at one point. I let him live at my house every other weekend because I didn't want her to get molested or something. Yeah. He's a nightmare. He's a nightmare. He, he didn't want to help with anything. Um, just recently, June 1st, she graduated high school. So he's cut any and all payments he's ever had for her. She knows that, you know, so I married my mom. Um, she, she has a lot of pain around her dad a lot of pain. And she wrote his therapist. I think his friends encouraged him to go into therapy. And um, I think they all understand why I left now, (laughs) but um, yeah, I I married my mom. I did. At least least you recognized it pretty quickly. I did. I did. She had to do 14 years of every other weekend with him, which has been incredibly destructive to her. Uh, I always tried to make it good. Recently, she said, I used to wish mommy that you weren't so good so that it would make going there easier. And I was like, oh my God. Mm. But he did into therapy and she wrote his therapist and him a long, long, long letter because he said he wanted to repair and uh, he ignored it. So she tried. She confronted him in ways I have never confronted my parents so I was really proud of her. And when she gets sad, I, I have her reread those letters and remind her how powerful she is. And um, he's just a broken guy. You know, I mean, he's 53 and he's living in a home with another family. I mean, what are you doing? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely married my mom. I mean, my mom actually worked hard and was responsible, but she was passive aggressive. Nothing was ever her fault. She was always a victim. This guy, my ex, is the biggest victim there ever was. And people believe him. They are very charming. (laughs) Yeah, they can be. And they're charming in a way, especially in the victim role. It's very compelling. Yeah. Because we have a hard time as healthy people thinking someone could feign emotion like that out of a lie. But they can. Mm. And they do. And I, I do wonder something. Uh, did you ever notice that by growing up in a dysfunctional family, did you ever acquire some of the behaviors that they displayed your whole life? And did you ever have to catch yourself and then actually work on yourself to change those? I've never been a manipulator. Um, what happened to me is I just had no self-esteem. So I just was an overthinker. Um, I was always scared, always scared, always worried, worried about people, worried about gossip. I was needy and I, I just remained very easy to manipulate. I never took on their cruelty or their mean things. A lot of people do. Um, and it's okay. Those are just little fleas that you've got to work off. 
But what I did do is I just married the wrong man. You know, I, I picked the wrong guy. And because my mom was married four times and my dad five, I was like, Ooh, and I did get married again another time. And it just was not the right person. Um, I was vulnerable at that time. It was after my first husband and this guy was more like my dad. They say you're married, your worst parents. So I'm over two <laughs> seven years into a relationship with someone I really love. I don't know that I ever want to get married again. I do love him. Uh, maybe one day I'd want that, but as for where I'm at right now, I don't know. So I was single for a while and I, I too, I continued to date the wrong men and my daughter had to watch me go through that. So if I repeated one pattern, I would say it was that, but as far as like parenting or friendships or anything, I, I I've been a phenomenal parent. Thank God. Um, and, uh, I've been a single mom, which has been an incredible journey. I I far more powerful than I ever thought. Um, it just took me a long time to figure out love, friendships, relationships, because I picked abusive people. Yeah. And I don't do that anymore. That's good. And I think it's because you're building self-confidence and self-love and that those two things will save you from making those mistakes because nobody can make you feel less when you don't feel less. Um, Oh yeah. I must say I did pick up a lot of the narcissistic and sometimes also passive aggressive features of my parents. And it took me a long time to realize it. I wasn't even doing things consciously. I just, no. Yeah. You learned it. Yeah, I learned it. And then, but there was always a voice inside of me that wanted to be better. And that was much more spiritual and deeper. And I just had to kind of figure out how to do it. But one of the things that uh, I guess fed that was my, because I was, I'm I'm also the firstborn and you have a a, a sibling. Older brother. Older brother. So I think the roles that they give us when we're born may, may affect that because one oh, yeah. of the things I noticed that they elevated me on a pedestal. And then, you know, if I wasn't doing what they wanted, of course, I was like terrible, but they always lift me up and bring me down, lift me up. So you become kind of addicted to that roller coaster. My brother like, has that role. Yeah. And and if he wasn't giving them what they wanted, then, then they would promote me as I was the good one, you know, and I was always like, what? Uh, Cause I, they never treated me the way they treated him, but um I do think the firstborn shoulders a lot. Um, I used to really wish I was the golden child. In fact, I used to believe the only thing good about me at all was that I was his sister because mm-hmm. he was had a, a little mini bout of fame in professional sports. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was also an Olympic hopeful athlete in ice skating, but it's like it just wasn't shiny as as shiny as a penny, I suppose. But um I do think each child is given certain roles and um, he was elevated and you were elevated. So you would, but you got out, which is a miracle. So you do, you do have to detox certain things. What I did not know how to do was uh, resolve conflict. Mm. So conflict would come and I'd be like, I'm sorry. And I, I just learning to stand up for myself was just really hard for a long time. And now I have no ifs, ands or buts about it. Yeah. And I will do it tastefully. Yeah. I will do it truthfully. And I think people would rather have it less truthful and less tasteful than more truthful and tasteful. 
because I give them nothing to fight with. Well, true. <laughs> I just won't engage. Yeah. You know, I've become a very clear uh, person and I, and that clarity, I know exactly when my boundaries are crossed and I handle it right now. Actually beautiful that you mentioned boundaries. I think this is one thing my family didn't have and the problems for me, or not the problem, but when I started having to disconnect was when I started having boundaries because oh, yeah. they didn't respect them. They didn't have them. So no, there, there are no yeah. boundaries because if there's boundaries, then there's health. Hmm. Manipulation can only work on a very invasive, engulfing, uh, controlling, critical level. So, and when you set boundaries on a toxic family, instead of showing you respect, they retaliate. Yeah. So I, I'm doing a whole series right now on my podcast that I know you listen to on boundaries. And I've only done two shows so far in that series. And I start the no contact option coming up next week. And um, the, the, it's insane, the reviews that this, this series is getting. So, cause they're so confusing to people, mm. you know, cause People just don't even understand. Boundaries are designed to keep people in your life, yeah. not kick them out. Yeah. It's like you give someone an opportunity to show you that they deeply love and respect you when you set a boundary. Yeah. And toxic family members come at you all guns blazing. So they choose not to have a relationship with you. It's not even that you've cut them off. You've given them an opportunity to love and respect you with this boundary and they give you an F you so that they've eliminated themselves, but people don't look at it that way. They, they, they skip it. And like, you're mean, you kick people out of your life. No, I didn't kick anyone out of my life. They chose to leave. They chose not to respect my boundary. Yeah. Let's go to the right target here. <laughs> Quit yeah. blaming the victim. So the same people that would say that to you are the, the, the people that would say, and I'm going to quote the, uh, the title of one of your books, but it's your family. Oh, God, yes. But it's your mom. Um, I've, I've gotten this one, too, and I'm going to do a, a Sherpy video on this one soon, but be the bigger person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what does that really mean? You're actually telling me that I have to shrink and be abused. That's what that means. Or this one, kill them with kindness. They don't value kindness. They don't care. Yeah. The nicer I ever was in my family, the harder I tried, the more abused I got. They don't care. They don't value those things. Be the bigger person. That's saying, go get your ass kicked. <laughs> no, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So it's amazing that the stuff, but that's your sister, but it's your brother. And... Here's yeah. the thing. People can be abusers. What are families made up of? People. people. So how is it that you assign the title family to a group of people and suddenly that title has the power to make them not abusers? No, that title allows abusers to get away with everything they want because they can justify it as parenting or justified as family and necessary. Are you kidding me? Listen, my parents were abusers long before I showed up in their lives. Mm. I didn't How was their relationship. Uh, they met in eighth grade. 
He okay. he passed away, and and his death was was hidden from me. Oh wow. uh, yeah, there were threats to uh, a certain person who reached out to. Me. I'd already figured it out on Google. Um, I was told that he was sick. My mom had someone tell me he was sick. And then that guy said, well, considering I'm going to land something so heavy on her, I mean, can I have some detail on what he's sick with? And she goes, nope. If she wants to know that, she can call me. Hmm. I didn't call. I didn't play the game. That's not how you're going to respect my boundaries or break them, whatever you're trying to do. Uh, so for about a year and a half, I'd Google his name and just see if anything came up. And um, one day it did. And, you and it was uh, shocking for me on some level. Um, and then I saw a blocked message about two months later. I didn't know you could get a blocked message, a voicemail. I thought if you block someone's number that it was like, but no, it won't come up as a notification, but they can leave you a voicemail. So. Um, that person had let me know that she was threatened not to tell me, but that she couldn't feel good in herself in doing that. Hmm. And uh, that person's very toxic and was in the middle of a divorce with another family member of mine. And the whole intent in telling me about my dad was to get me roped into her divorce. So yeah, there's nothing healthy going on over on that side. So uh, they hated each other. In a lot of ways, they always talked bad about the other one um, constantly my whole life. But, but my, mom, my mom was the main provider because my dad was in cults and, and, and he was all over the place. Like I lived with him for certain spurts of time if she needed to go do something or he'd randomly show up in my life with no notice. And oh, so they were divorced. They divorced when I was three and then she married three other times okay. and he married four other times. Okay. okay. You, I Don't care to meet the fifth. I never met her. Mm. So yeah. So very, dysfunctional. dysfunctional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was gonna yeah. Okay. Okay. I see now. I thought uh, they were married before they met each other, but okay. Now it makes sense. Okay. No, they got pregnant with my brother and got married because of that. Okay. And then, so they you know, they wanted two, so I was thing two, because that's what they did. Mm. So they, they divorced when I was very young. My dad was violent. He was a druggie. He was into weird cults and, and weird beliefs, and he did terrible things to myself, my, my body giving me these weird pills, and it was a freaking nightmare. So I write a little bit about that in Adult Survivors. Um, yeah, I just wasn't safe. Just wasn't safe. Mm -mm. Well, I mean, it's as I said before, it's a miracle you got out, and it's a miracle, miracle you got out. Yeah, and you got out with the power now to help others because a lot of people didn't, yeah. don't even have that much, you know. And considering that you felt like you didn't have self esteem, that that's you know when they get you, they're like at the lowest. You actually picked up yourself again and also can help others that don't have that because that's really where all the troubles start because you don't have self-confidence. You don't think you're good enough to make a decision even. Of course. So why would you, why would you contradict people that are supposed to know better than you? And yeah, um, I think survival is genetic. I I'm, I'm fairly convinced that my survival or my resilience gene is far more powerful than anybody's abuse. And my life is so much 
more beautiful than the bad things that have happened to me. I'm a really happy woman and I love my life. Um, I, I'm happy to know that I can feel something more than relief. Happiness was not an option for me for too many years. Relief was what I thought happiness was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I lived for just moments of relief. And uh, now I, I've expanded far beyond that. You know, it's the last seven years of no contact have been absolutely a rebirth for me. And, and I was always really strong. I just didn't know it. I survived a lot. Um including the the abusive nature toward myself. I mean, if if I took on anything from my parents, like you had talked about earlier, is I didn't do it to other people. I did it to me. Hmm. I self-abused, but self-abuse is still abuse. Yeah. I was my own toxic keeper. So yeah. I had to learn to undo all that. And, and what a gift, because now it's like I can offer this pathway to other people that do this to themselves or did this to themselves as well. Absolutely. So you mentioned that the last seven years has been a rebirth. And I like to talk about how to cope when you decide to disconnect from your family, which is obviously in your latest book. Um, because a lot of the times we, I guess we have this Stockholm syndrome that we, you know, where we just, we know that they're kind of abusing us, but we just keep on going back and yeah. justifying it even or coping with it. So the coping mechanism around how to be around these people. But then at one point, if you make the decision to leave that relationship, how do you, how do you become yourself post relationship? So this will actually be a sneak peek from the new book. Okay. I have a whole chapter called no man's land. Um, It's like leaving a cult. Mm. So one of the most powerful things in my healing, bizarrely enough, because I didn't even watch this series because I thought it had anything to do with me, but I was just interested in in the topic. So I watched Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath, and I was astounded by what happens to the people who leave Scientology was so similar to what happened to me. Uh, the smear campaign, and and I didn't ever know how loud, cruel, and voracious and long that thing was going to be. And it's still there. Um, I mean, I have no one, no one, not family, friends, no one. Um, I, I could have this one man who I was very close to, but I feel like whenever we talked, she ended up coming up in our conversation and he'd stand up for me and did all the things. But I just, I just, that's all in my past and I love him to death. Uh, but she's constantly trying to involve his family in this drama. And I don't want to put him in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I feel like talking to me just does that because he loves talking to me, but I don't think he deserves to be in the middle. And even though I'm not putting him there, I don't even want to help. Do you know what I mean? So um, I think he senses that I've, I've sort of pushed back from that. And I think he's totally, he loves me no matter what, but I lost everybody. People believe her. So that's okay. Um, In no man's land. uh, I sat at the door of no contact for such a long time because the post-separation abuse was so bad that I, and I didn't cut ties Like, I'm going to cut ties and live a new life. I was like, I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I'm done with, I can't, I can't have that in my life. That that, that was 
all it was for me. So I sat like this with my ear up against the door. Like, what do I do now? A trust was used against me. I mean, it's unbelievable. The things that I went through, um, scary shit, freaking scary shit. And so I couldn't move. And then, you know, I just stayed quiet. I, I didn't, and I stopped trying to defend myself to like people like that man, I just stopped telling my story altogether. I just thought I'm not going to meet force with force. It's not going to work. So I just went really quiet and it was hard for my ego to just let all these lies be going around about me. And I just thought, just who cares? If you believe my mother, then you are no friend of mine. If you believe one side of a story, I question someone like you now, right? I learned a lot. And then I just started getting curious. As I got used to being in no man's land, I was like, there's a whole life I could be living out there, <laughs> you know? And I just started living that life, healing this life in therapy, living that life, healing this life, living that life. And now I really live this life. And this is like in the background, like, rah, rah, rah. it's just no, it's like flies now, you know, it's just shoot. Um, they have no power for me anymore. Um, it's a wonderful, liberating feeling. I do not hate them. I love my family. I do as, as human beings. I don't want them to suffer. I don't have anything like that. I don't like them and I don't respect them. And I do not have anyone in my life that I do not like or respect. We can love someone we don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But if you lose respect for someone, it's not like love. Respect doesn't come back. Love can, right? So I had just to learn to separate those two and see them for what they are. I don't harbor any ill will. I simply have just no care about what they're doing behind my back anymore. I just don't care. That's exhausting. I, I feel for them, honestly. To yeah. keep a lie going requires a hell of a lot more energy and effort than for me to just stay quiet and live my truth. So people have a real hard time in no man's land. I did too. I tried so hard to stop this smear campaign and all it did was make me look as crazy as they said that I was. So letting go, I just think accepting reality, whatever it is, and just letting it be. Once I stopped bugging it, it like neutralized everything. And it took a far greater power for me to let go than it did for me to clutch and hang on. I know clutch. I clutched forever for 45 years to this family. So um, I feel liberated. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. And I, now you are also quite visible um, in the media. So you're nationally known, you have appearances in TV, uh, radio stations, and I just wonder how that makes you ever, if it makes you ever think about your family members or people associated with them, seeing your appearances and then obviously using that or just spying on you in a way. How, how does that feel for you? One family member does spy on me because she's never unfollowed my Facebook. Hmm. Uh, I've been at a speaking event where there were two people there that knew my mother. Oh, wow. And I had no idea. The interesting thing is when I was done, 
speaking, they came up to me, both of them in tears, and they were nurses at a hospital. And my mom loves being sick. So they basically said, HIPAA prevents us from saying names, but we know, and we also know exactly who she is. It's not unknown. And I was like, and they were like, if you want two bonus moms, you've got them. Wow. Okay. So they told me without telling me that many other people experience her the same way. Mind you, my mom was a woman who was running charities for cancer kids and burned kids in a ski resort, taking them to ski. So she had a, a very pristine reputation in a small town. When I wrote my books, I never had the goal to write a book. It wasn't something I ever wanted to do. I was an avid journal writer and it was all very private to me. And when I, I had a client actually challenged me to write a song, and that's how my first book, Loving Yourself, came into being. It's such a cute little book that was just self-published. And, you know, I'm still proud of it, but, you know, my skill sets increased quite a bit since that time. But <laughs> um, I never thought about people close to me reading the book. Mm. When I thought of books, I thought of strangers reading the book. So on the first date with my boyfriend, he said, I've seen you've written a book. And I was like, oh my God, do not read it. Please do not read it. Please tell me you haven't read it. I won't go out on another date with you if you've read it. Because talk about being able to take advantage of me. What if he was a narcissist and he read my story? I mean, it would be horrible. Nor did I think about my boyfriend's family members. I never thought that through. That someone new in my life would be reading my books. I, I, I think that my parents have already used my first book against me. Um, they cut me off at 42 for writing my first book, although she helped finance it. And they all knew what was written. Hmm. So that was weird. And I think that they take my books and they just don't read them. And I think they just say, tell everyone I'm a liar and I'm needing attention. I'm, I'm certain that's probably what they say. I don't think they have the balls to read those books. Wow. Okay. So no, I don't think they read them. I think they've re read snippets of some of them uh, and they'll take a snippet. They'll make it about them. The story's about me. Hmm. They're external players to the story, but they're narcissistic, you know? So I know one of my family members still follows my Facebook and I, I don't get it. It's like, you've cut me off. But then I feel like this. Watch me. Yeah. I mean, watch me live, watch me shine, watch me help hundreds of thousands of people. You've cut me off. I don't, what are you going to get out of spying on me? Mm. I don't care that you're here. Yeah. Like I've learned just to not care. It's my truth. And if my family members that think I'm a liar are going to see everything as a lie, then see it as a lie. If it doesn't make you win. If that makes you win and you think I'm a liar, then think I'm a liar. I don't care. You know, it's like my mom once called me a monster and I had this thought like, well, if I am the monster and if I say I am, will you go away? If so, dude, monster right here, big one, <laughs> you know, I got to that point where I'm like, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're all right. And you know what they do? I don't want to be right. The game starts again. Yeah. Sanity. Never so an end. They watch me. Good. Yay. Watch all of it. What are you getting out of it? 
It's like, I'm, I'm telling the truth. You're lying about me. I'm going to tell the truth about you. I, I don't know what you want. I don't know what they're getting. Uh, they're wasting so much energy is how I look at it. Yeah, it seems like it. And how is the relationship of your brother with your mother? Because you, I, it seems like he's also not, he doesn't have a relationship with you either, right? Uh, there can only be, quote unquote, one star in this family. Hmm. Okay. So that's not me. He is so totally enmeshed. Uh, I could just say some of the most evil things that he and my mother do together. Uh, It's just evil. They they are so sick together. So she's always lied for him and covered up his squeaky clean image, whether it's infidelity or whatever. That's his story to tell. Um, But she's in the middle of all of it, directing traffic regardless of if he's married or not, it's, it's unbelievable, but that's not my story to tell. That's his, and he won't ever tell it. Uh, they've, they've got some kind of a bargain. They've, they've the unconsciously between them that she'll keep his secret so he can continue to be amoral and, but look like Huck Finn on the surface. No one really knows him. No one really knows her. Uh, but I think more people get a feeling about them, I would imagine, than, than not, but they can't put their finger on it. Mm. And this is that that's their path. Like I accept that we're all here at different levels of spirits on this earth. And that's the level that they're at. I'm not at that level. Um, thank God. Cause I think that gossip and lying and, and cheating and all those things, it's the lowest form of, of, um, of human interaction. And yet they claim to be the most moral of them all. So they're tricking themselves more than me. I just happen to be in that family of pathological liars who, who do they lie to the most is themselves. So if they read it, great. If they spy on me, okay. I mean, I don't know what they get out of it. I wouldn't want to watch me if I were them and hear that truth out there. I wouldn't uh, if I were a liar, but I think maybe they, they, uh, I recently found a way that my mother was trying to spy on me. She's been retired for God knows how long. And all of a sudden had a LinkedIn. Hmm. Okay. And I post every other week on LinkedIn about my podcast. So, okay. So, you know, I have a podcast. I mean, I don't know. I, I blocked it. I mean, I don't know what, what, what does she get out of that? If she listens to the podcast, what does she get? getting out of it. They probably gather that information to try and add it to the smear campaign. They need to know what truths are out there about them from their opinion, because they think everything's about them. Um, And if you notice, I don't talk much about myself in anything except my books a little bit. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know. They must add it to the smear campaign somehow. She's a liar. Okay. I mean, I think people tire of smear campaigns. I'm going to be honest with you. I think people get to a point where like enough, enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, especially if you don't have a relationship with them and the smear campaigns continue, then yeah. at some point you have to wonder there's an agenda here. It's not yeah. truth anymore. Right. And how can she be saying this? If I were a liar, I couldn't resonate with people. I just don't think it would resonate. I think I'd be stoned to death. So uh, and I take some shit in social media from, from rejected parents or, and what they don't realize is I was raised by a toxic adult child. So you might have one. So how can't you not relate to me? I was mm-hmm. raised by one. 
but there's a big divide, which is sort of sad, but um, I'm not against them. I don't know why they're against me uh, or my following. Right. But it's a, it's a hard thing. Thank you for having me. It was incredible. So send me the link and I'll make sure to promote your show and do all the things. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. You bet. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Dr. Sherry, and thank you everyone for staying on the show. I hope you found this super helpful. If you are in need of support, if you're going through a toxic relationship yourself, please reach out to Dr. Sherry. She will be able to help you, even if you're not in California. Now, if you are needing to just get yourself familiar with the topic or want to know more, everything is linked in the show notes. Okay, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, as always, please, please, please leave your reviews and share with your friends so that we can keep on growing. And if you want to support us even more, do not forget to purchase your herbs from Dr. Morse's link in my show notes. All right, I'll see you next week. Bye.